I think of these these genes as being like a bead on a wire and naturally our, ge our genes are positioned either in the middle or a little bit lower or a little bit higher and you can slide them along the wire so naturally they start they've got a, a kind of position depending on the gene code um, but if we know that that position is is wrong or not healthy then we can use nutrition and lifestyle to move that position along and nudge that person into a healthy range um, and that is the power really of genetics in the hands of the right people. Hello and welcome to the Natural Healthcare Network podcast. My name is Deb McLeod and I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in. Today I have two people joining me. One of them is Emma Bezik. She is the founder of LifeCode GX. It is a professional DNA testing organization. And my co-host today is Patricia Alexander-Bird. She is the owner of Anam Kara Nutrition. Trish is also a registered nutritional therapist. And she and I are going to be interviewing Emma today to learn more about why Emma started this interesting business. So I hope you sit back and enjoy listening to this story as much as I did. Thank you, Emma and Trish, so much for joining me today. It is great to have you on my show. And it's so delightful to be here. I'm delighted that you've asked us to chat about all things nutrigenomics. Yes. Yeah, me too. And it's so nice to do a, a kind of group chat as well and have that, that collaboration, which is what we're all about. So looking forward to it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So Trish is, um, Trish is co-hosting with me. She's worked with you on various various levels as a, a client, as a practitioner. And um, Emma, I think what would be really nice if we can hear a little bit about your story and how Life Code GX started, why it started, because you're very talented, <laughs> you're very bright, you have a, an incredibly interesting business. And I just think it would be terrific to know more about the whys behind it. So are you happy to, to kick it, kick things off that way, Emma? That yeah, okay? absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, like many people who get into nutrition, I had a previous career or set of careers. And I really just wanted a change, to be honest. So I'd worked in technology and finance uh, for 20 odd years and done fairly well I had really really good times and then not so good times and then in the end I just felt really really unexcited by the whole thing and really frustrated by corporate environments as well so I felt the more senior you got in a corporate environment actually the 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 less welcome you you were as a female in particular in that environment and and so I just thought what are my interests outside of work what am I what do I actually care about and so I I was really really interested in health uh, mainly from a quite a kind of positive way so I used to run a lot um, I did endurance running and I did that partly for a 
kind of mental health perspective, really, just because it made me feel better. Um, it calmed me. So that was really, it was like, whatever is going on in my life, I know that I'm going to feel better if I get out there and go for a run and I'll never regret that run. Um, so, so I just really wanted to be able to continue doing that as I go through life. I still feel like this. I always want to be able to have that as a, as a, as a thing. Um, I think there were times when I was quite obsessive about it because I can get quite obsessive. Um, but then <laughs> I, I, I think I've really, really tempered that and actually studying health professionally and nutrition professionally has really helped moderate my approach to a lot of things, um, realising how important it is to, to be moderate and, and not obsessive and not let one thing dominate your life. Um, so I really wanted to optimise health, I guess, was my objective. Um, and so I decided to study part-time nutrition. And I think probably, Trish, you know, you've got a story about your nutrition education and it may be quite similar. Um, but I, I, I wanted to do something different. I wasn't quite sure what. I still needed to pay the bills. So I studied part-time on a diploma in nutritional therapy course uh, for three years and by doing that I wasn't quite sure where it would lead me but I hoped it would inspire me to do something that would give me an opportunity to to use that as my career and completely switch and that's exactly what happened luckily uh, so I did a lecture in nutrigenomics it was only a day, but it it was that spark that really, really hit me. Uh, I was looking forward to it before it happened. It wasn't like a total shock. It was like, I think this is really going to be interesting because I think on the spectrum of nutrition professionals, some people are very, very fact-based and some people aren't so fact-based. Some people are more spiritual, and there is a place for everybody in this spectrum. But I felt that I was very much on uh, on a kind of facts and numbers and data kind of position. And so it kind of excited me from that perspective because it was presented in that way. So it was like, you can get all this data, and then yeah. you can... <laughs> You can interpret it and analyze it, which is what I used to do. I was going to say, this is your background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, oh, you, you can do what you, you know how to do, but in an entirely different context. But it's making use of that experience and that skill set. And so that's how I started. Um, and that's what I did. So I did lots of tests that were available. And I got lots of data and I spent lots of hours analysing it and then thinking, you cannot expect a practitioner to do this because it's so time consuming. It isn't what their skill set is, but they also need to have confidence that whoever has done that has done it from the right perspective with the right aims and understanding how it is to be used. And I think this is what my conclusion was about what was available, was that there was a lot of data crunching going on, but it wasn't really from the perspective that we are trained 
to look at things as nutritionists. That's a really good point, actually. There's something that you said, Emma, in a webinar. I can't remember which one it was, one of the little snapshots. And I actually wrote it down because it kind of really resonated with me. You said it's about genetic potential as opposed to genetic testing. So it's a lovely, very positive spin on yeah. genetic testing, as it were. It's genetic yeah. potential. That's such a good point. And what I have learned is it's not all about data, actually. So it's that's a start point. That's that's an input, but that's a small part of the overall picture. And it doesn't give you a determinate answer or a, a necessarily black and white answer, um, which is kind of weird that I say that now because that's what I'd hoped for at the beginning. That was my <laughs> way of looking at things. Um, but actually... That, that is one of the most important aspects of all of this is it's a part of the jigsaw and you have to look at it in context. And if you try and shortcut that and you try and read too much into just the data, then that's a mistake and you may come to a wrong conclusion. You may send someone down a wrong route on a wrong path. And I think that there's a lot of people out there doing biohacking um, that have quite a, quite a kind of cold, factual approach to this, which is where I used to be. So I get it. Um, but I've having experienced this now for five years and worked with practitioners and worked with clients, I, I've evolved my thinking a lot and moved away from that or there is a place for it but it's part of the picture um and I think you know this applies to almost everything in in life um there's a brilliant book called Blink uh which you might have read I'll try and think of the author um and it will come to me but basically that book is about expertise and how expertise is partly about facts and partly about intuition and a, the book starts with a story where there is an analysis of a museum piece. And so the museum is considering purchasing a, a really expensive artefact and they want experts to tell them if it's genuine or not. And the experts, the real experts, just know whether it's genuine. Um, they don't, they, you know, they'll look at it and they'll do their checks and they'll validate their intuition, but they know because they have this bigger picture. And I think that's where I now feel genetics fits as part of the naturopathic nutrition work, um, that it has to be, it has to be incorporated part of that. And most things are a mixture of science and art. Mm. yes and not yes. just one or the other so mm. art has got science behind it and mm. you can't get the best of the science without this kind of human element it doesn't exist yeah which is quite scary for scientists I think what was it was there any this is a thing for me I always love tipping points you know that take in whatever it is in anyone's life from a health standpoint anything what was it that kind of knocked you over into that okay this is I really was thinking it was all about the drilling down and looking at that. But what was it that kind of 
made you start swaying? Was it several clients? Was it one in particular? I think it was partly the the situation I was in when I was starting to look at the genetics. So the fact that I was studying nutrition anyway, and every week we were being presented with new information and system ways and, and whole person ways of looking at things meant that that kind of married and it pulled together. Um, and I think, you know, when we first started, we did just go with things that were really simple. So there are some really simple things and they're totally valid and they're really useful. So there are examples of genetics where you can look at a single change in the code and it's fairly certain that it will have a specific impact in terms of the way that person's biology works. Um, so some things are just very direct and one-to-one. Um, like, for example, there is a lactose gene and that codes for lactase, so which breaks down the milk protein. And you can look at a single data point on someone's whole genome of 60 billion data points. You could just look at one and it will tell you with a high level of certainty whether they, as adults, can no longer digest lactose or whether they can. So, you know, there are some really nice, easy things that that you can use and you can start with and that are easy to explain to clients as well. And I think this is a really important thing. It's how do you bring the client on the journey and and get them to believe and trust that this science is real? Um, and I think if you can find things that resonate with an individual, then that's that, and that goes for general practice anyway, doesn't it? It's like you want something ideally quite early on in the relationship that convinces the client and you that this is going to be a fruitful relationship and it's going to deliver benefits. Um, and there are some things that we know take a long, long time and you can't resolve overnight. And there are some things that actually are the low-hanging fruit and you know you want some of those early wins and you want something that that is accessible to people so it's not blinding them with science it's taking them on that journey um so so yeah so that's what we want to do we want to work with practitioners like Trish to basically enthuse them and get them really, really on this to, up, up to the same level as we are in understanding this so that they are spreading that, that word, um, but that it is done in this competent way, this sensitive way, um, rather than scaring people. Exactly. It's not something to be scared of, for example. You're not getting... A like a death sentence you know it's empowerment really that's what I found it quite empowering yeah and I think you know I think this is what we can do differently as well because there are tests out there that anyone can buy 
and they can get information and they can then go on Facebook or Google and they can put something about their test result in there and they can scare themselves. Exactly. Um, and it, yeah, and it's a massive industry. I was doing a little bit of reading yesterday evening. It's about this direct-to-consumer testing. Um, of which there are many available easily online, aren't there? And in 2017, it was valued um, at $117 million. And by 2026, the industry is estimated to be worth $611 million. So there's potential for exploitation, I think, if you you know, if you haven't got sort of a good moral compass or background like yourself, and you really are passionate about helping people to achieve genetic potential. It can yeah. be that people can be exploited, I think, if they don't know where to yeah. look. Yeah. And it's a very fine line, I think, because I, I do think it's empowering and there is nothing wrong with the idea of people being able to discover for themselves and learn for themselves. And some people are very, very capable of doing that in a safe way. Um and a, but a lot of people aren't. It's like anything. You can go online and you can be exposed to positive and negative forces. Um, and you can do a test and you can be exposed to good and bad. Um, and one of the challenges we face, and I think our practitioners have as well, is how to educate the public about this. Um, so how do they know that you know, our tests are better. What do we mean by better? Is it better? Who's it better for? You know, what are the what are the considerations that people should have exactly. if you're thinking about yeah. doing genetic testing? Yeah. And it's a relatively new field, isn't it? I mean, really, so it's less than twenty years old as as a field, nutrigenomics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, researchers have been looking at genetics for probably about 50, 60 years, but it's only in the last 10, 15 years that it's become so prevalent and that the consumer offerings have been available. Um, And because there are so few barriers to entry, um, anyone anyone can set up a DNA testing company. There is no regulation. That's Um, so interesting. That was one of my questions, yeah. Were there many yeah. challenges? Like, were there any barriers to entry? But you're saying no. It depends what you do. I mean, a lot of there are companies that interpret data. So there are companies that do tests. So you they'll provide a test kit, and you send that off the the sample, the DNA sample, which can be saliva, it can be cheek cells, it can be blood. But for direct consumer, it's usually saliva or cheek cells. Um, so that goes off to a lab, the DNA is extracted and then it's sequenced and then that generates some data and then the various companies convert or use that data to provide interpretations. Um, some of them provide what they call the raw data and then that is available for people to then use to upload to other interpretation tools um, I, I personally feel that that is a minefield and because 
you don't know who's behind the tool, you're uploading your the most personal of information about yourself mm-hmm. that can be used to identify you. Why, why, be, yeah. yeah, that could be used to identify if you are at risk of some fairly serious health conditions. Um, and you're just basically pressing the button and uploading it to the ether um, in a really unsecure way or you're giving it to a company you know so a lot of companies are very cheap because actually they are getting more from this process than you are as the client so you know it's cheap there's usually a reason they are either buying data from you um, in order to use however they wish and sometimes the small print isn't really clear about what that is um or they want to sell you something else off the back of it like supplements or or something you know there is usually an ulterior kind of motive to it and if something is cheap then I'm always slightly suspicious as to why whatever it is in life it's kind of like you know is the product inferior or what am I actually buying into here um you know or, you know, what, what's really going on. So I think people are actually, some people are very trusting and almost too trusting um, in, in this scenario and other people are really, really concerned and it's, you know, goes from one end to the other. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... I, I, but, I'm sorry, I wonder if they know, a lot of people really know what, Although you would think that they would have a, a sense of of knowing that they're sharing their most personal information, really, and making themselves vulnerable, but I do kind of wonder if people realize what they are sharing. Um, so that that's one thing. But how did you? I'm just going to change the subject, and Trish. If you wanted to go back to this, obviously do, but. What's coming through my mind is, okay, you started this this company, this business. What made you decide to do it the way you did? I mean, I realize the nutrition, I get I get that, you know, yeah. but how is it that you started to put it together? Can you can you yeah. walk, talk us through that a bit? Is that yeah. okay? So first of all, we did use third party data because that seemed like so easy. There were lots of people who had done twenty three and me which people have heard of, the biggest single um, genotyping direct consumer company. Um, so we did. We were kind of like, okay, this is just there. We don't have to do anything. All we have to do is interpret the data and provide the technology that basically converts it into a meaningful report, just like lots of other people do. Only we were, of course, believing and that we were much more diligent about it and discerning and and all of that. Um, But then as a practitioner and as someone who was working within a community of health professionals, um, you look at the model that professionals work in and the testing model, and that is very, very different. The whole idea of saying to a client, go here and do this test, then come back. And when you've got this data, there's this I want you to do with it. And then when you've done that, Um, with those people come back to me and send me your report it's kind of like whoa 
you know yeah, quite, quite clunky and awkward yeah, yeah yeah and it took ages so at the time um 23 and me I think had a turnaround time of 12 weeks oh um, yeah time. wow they, there were times when they were just overwhelmed with demand because they hadn't anticipated it and and stuff so it was kind of like this this doesn't work for practitioners when someone comes to you you don't want to wait 12 weeks for a test it's just crazy so, isn't it yeah yeah and, and then also the more research we did, we discovered that there weren't actually the data that we needed in, in those tests. So again, our perspective was very much about health, but a lot of those tests have been designed to look at ancestry. So the only way really to get what we wanted was to design our own panel and to say, this is what we want. You know, we're looking at a, a certain perspective. It might be thyroid health. So I know Trisha's done the thyroid report. Um, so this is what we want. It's not in that data set anyway. <clears throat> so we'll, we'll contract with a lab who do this and develop this panel and then we can get exactly what we want. We can do it where we want. We can be as secure as we want. We can turn around these tests in two weeks instead of 12. Um, and we can provide a complete service. So people aren't going one place, then another, then another, and, and having all that stress and inconvenience. So, so that's basically what we did. And it was fairly quick to do it, actually. Um, and we've, we work with a lab in the UK that is an ex-government lab, forensics lab, and they are absolutely brilliant. We are such small fry compared to <laughs> everything that they do, but they still treat us really well. Um, we feel that we're important to them, even though we're, you know, so relatively small. Um, so, so, yeah, we did that. And then over time, we extended our scope of, of things that we tested for as we gradually built our knowledge and wanted to develop more specialist panels and areas of testing um, and I actually the big dilemma when we decided to do that was well that's quite a lot of extra work compared to just running a data through a tool which can be completely automatic <clears throat> and it is actually it's it really is a lot more work and you'd be surprised how many things people do wrong like they'll phone up and say oh, uh, I think I might have done my sample wrong because I ate a bar of chocolate 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> We're not testing the chocolate DNA. <laughs> they're, thinking, they're thinking something completely different, are they? Diagnostic, that's really interesting. I love that. Yeah. Too funny. Too funny. So, so, yeah, so that's really how we got to our model. Um, and I'm happy with that model uh, because we know the provenance really of the whole thing so we've seen it from start to finish it's totally confidential um, people can submit a pseudonym or a, a practitioner can submit a client identifier that isn't the person's name so as far as the lab's concerned they don't know whose dna it is so from that confidentiality security perspective it's all really really tight and controlled um, and we feel that this is a professional service, which is equivalent to any test 
um, and the expectations and the standards that you would expect from any other functional test. And you're fully UK based as well. So yeah. there, there aren't going to be any sort of data breaches with your DNA having to maybe go to the US or to Europe for analysis, you know, so it's all fully all done in, in the UK. Yeah, it's very, very tightly controlled and nothing is, we, we've actually now got a secure uh, portal, which is for practitioners. So we're not emailing things around either. Um, and the data we get from the lab is sent over a secured network and all of that. So there is no, uh, no that, that aspect of things, which I think people are becoming more aware of when you see news items every day about things being hacked. Um, again, I think this is precious information for people that yeah. they should be um, concerned about controlling access to it. Um, it is you at the end of the day. So, so yeah, I, I think that now the model, I'm very, very happy with that model um, and the way we work and the way we work with practitioners and that we're able to provide them with that confidence as well. So I think now our focus is really on what we test, how we present the results, how we interpret it and how we work with practitioners and our education program around that as well. And also the end client. So we do do webinars about the kind of, they're not always that easy, actually. You will have seen them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. so we, do, we, we call them snapshots and they're short kind of 30 minute videos. I think they're great. They're fantastic. Yeah, I enjoy them are. so much. Yeah, they are. Right. Your, your so wildest one yet is with Alex Manos, but you know, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have a bit of fun, you see. So, I think this is one thing that sometimes I have to kind of remind myself that running a business. Why did I do it? I don't want to feel stressed out and and forget about all those principles of why I did this. I want to have a bit of fun as well, and I want to make it. Um, as well as yes it is serious and there are people with serious health conditions that that are going to be helped by this but we can also you know make it an enjoyable experience and throw in some things there that are a bit light-hearted um as well for people um Trish, did you have something you wanted to? to yeah, I was to just kind up? of curious about what was the first panel that you designed, and I know you've got a very nicely curated number of panels. And what's the most popular one? Ooh, that's a good. It's <laughs> <laughs> really good. I'm like nosy. Sorry. <laughs> I love nosy. I love nosy. <laughs> I think. Um, so at various times, whenever we've developed a new panel, I will be heard going around to, to various people, anyone who will listen and say, I love this panel. <laughs> it's my favourite. <laughs> um, I think I think my, uh, is it my favourite? Our most popular ones are, we have a hormone balance panel. It's called Estrogen Balance, actually, but it looks Brilliant. like Brilliant. I've done that. It's fantastic yeah yeah it looks at that the whole sex steroid hormone life cycle from cholesterol through making androgens to estrogens and 
so many people and it's it's for women and for men can benefit from this but so many people have hormone imbalance related symptoms and some some of those things are life kind of altering on a day-to-day basis and they've not been able to resolve them um what we find with that panel and a couple of the reasons I love it is we present all the information on one page. So it's a visual um, representation of this is how your body makes these hormones. Um, this this is what version of the hormone is preferred because it can go down different paths. This is how you respond to these particular hormones or forms of them and then ultimately this is how they are broken down and removed once they've done their job but it's on one page and you can see this whole life cycle with the gene results that show you in a quite a simple color coding way that this is where the problems are more likely to be this is where a blockage is or this is where a certain process is happening more quickly than it would typically because you've got a small change in your genetic code. Um, but it is the potential, as you said, Trish, it's the potential for this. What we find with all our panels to different extents, but this one, I've stopped being amazed. Um, but we find that by almost default if people aren't knowledgeable and they haven't tried to proactively alter how this is working in their body um, then the genes will reflect the actuality Um, so the genes will indicate maybe that someone is making more estrogen Um, it's faster it's going faster than, than it would be if they didn't have a particular gene type. Um, and maybe it's also indicating that it's not being broken down. So you've got this squeeze in the middle where it's speeded up making it and it's slowed down removing it. And that person suffers from symptoms of estrogen excess, for example. Um, and they might have really bad period pains, really bad mood swings, um put on weight things like that and on a more serious note they might have family history of of cancers so you know they're kind of like yikes i know that there's something in my family um but i don't know where to start with this um but the good news is a it's potential and that means that potential can either happen or not happen and once we have the information, I think of these these genes as being like a bead on a wire. And naturally, our, ge- our genes are positioned either in the middle or a little bit lower or a little bit higher. And you can slide them along the wire. So naturally, they start, they've got a, a kind of position depending on the gene code. Um, but if we know that that position is is wrong or not healthy, then we can use nutrition and lifestyle to move 
that position along and nudge that person into a healthy range. Um, and that is the power, really, of genetics in the hands of the right people, um, like like you, Trish. Well, you, yeah, because you you know where the little where the nutrition gaps are, um, and I know I was low in certain micronutrients, and you know, and and proteins and amino acids. And you, I've heard you say, well, methionine is the starting place, isn't it, of all of the, so, yeah. And, I, I was low on that. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? So, yeah, and I got some reports back and I was low. Well, I had a blood test done, a methylation blood test, and I was low in methionine. But now I know that I have to, to work to getting those proteins and I'm supplementing with SAM-E as well. So, yeah, it, it, it's yeah. valuable knowledge. It really is. So sometimes you have to work harder to get or more more specifically to get to that optimum state. So when we read that everybody needs, um, I don't know what, I don't think it's enough anyway, but the government will say everybody should have 3,000 IU of vitamin D. So they're coming around to this idea. Actually, you know what? Some people need 10,000. Some people might need 20. Some people might fail to get away with three. Um and partly that's genetic and partly it's their environment. How much exposure to sunlight are they getting? But if, I mean, vitamin D is a brilliant, brilliant example because there are two genes that we can look at that have very definitive, very clear meaning. Um, so one of them is called the GC gene and it codes for the protein that carries vitamin D around our blood. And if people have a variance on that gene, it means that that protein isn't as good. Trish, you have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great. It's great to know. Not great to know. Well, but, Trish, yeah. but it's great information. Yeah, I have the yeah. variance on that gene. Yeah. yeah, and I do too, actually. A lot of these things are quite common and everyone's walking around and they've got no idea that you know, I thought, I spent quite a lot of time outside last summer. I was lucky enough to be in France. I was cycling. I was getting loads of sunlight. I was eating oily fish, and that's got vitamin D in it as well. And then I did a blood test, and my vitamin D was 70, which is okay, just, mm, I think. But considering I like, I was feeling a bit smug, thinking, I've got this. I'm being the optimal and I was kind of like whoa if that's what it's like when I've done everything right yeah and you eat really well you know you know the foods to eat trying my best yeah exactly and then I have this variance that Trish has as well which means that the vitamin d it's made that part's fine but when we transport it in the bloodstream that that transport protein isn't as good at retaining and holding that vitamin D. So it's as if it loses it. Some of it just falls by the wayside and then it gets excreted and removed and you've lost it. So to get to a good level is much more challenging. So does that mean it's not actually going from that transporter gene onto the VDR receptor? Yeah, so exactly. So it means that 
A, you're going to find it more difficult to keep your vitamin D levels at a good status. So if you were to do a vitamin D test, you would expect that gene, the potential is that that would result in a low vitamin D level. Um, Even if you're doing all the right things, you might just about to belt and nudge it up and you probably would benefit from more or less constant supplementation in that case. Um, And you can test this. So you you could do this. You could do a gene test and then you could do a functional test and find out and prove it for yourself. Um, And then, as you say, the vitamin D to do its job has to connect with what is called a receptor. And that's like putting a plug in a socket. So, you know, you can't turn the the hairdryer on until it's plugged in, it's not doing anything. So if that's vitamin D, it needs to be plugged into its receptor. And some people's receptors aren't as responsive to the vitamin D. So it's almost like you need more of it to get that response. Um, so... If I'm lucky in that respect, so my vitamin D receptors are okay. Um, so my challenge is getting the level to an okay level. For other people, if their receptors are not as responsive, then actually we would want to aim for a higher level in the first place of vitamin D. So what's good enough for me still wouldn't be hitting the spot for those people. It, the message still wouldn't be getting through. Um, and actually, there was someone there's someone who um, works with me as a business kind of mentor, and she did all our tests. So when people work with us, they do all our tests, and it's part of, part, part of getting them on board and up to speed with Part everything. of the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But she she came along and she said, This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And she she was knowledgeable about nutrition, but not a nutrition professional, but an intelligent, well-informed individual. And she said, I have osteoporosis, I've had some various depression my whole life. And I have lots of immune compromise. And her vitamin D, both those genes were the the less beneficial version, shall we say. And she said, wow, if only I had known this sooner, I could have taken more preventative, proactive And avoided all that suffering and pain and anxiety and... Yeah. Yeah. So go get a test. Go get a test. So this makes me ask a question. So you've got your genetic testing. How do you work alongside the functional tests that go on? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, it really should be. If you've got a query about a client and you're struggling, the functional testing is great. Don't get me wrong, and I don't want to to give them a a, you know smear them at all but it really does sound like that the genetic testing gives you that great foothold doesn't it to say okay this is definitive this is actually this is not a screenshot on the day this is really what's going on I mean so how do you how do you work with them is that yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. So because this is part of the jigsaw, then the more parts that we have, the more pieces that are in place, the, the better the picture is the way I think of it. So that, you know, there are these things that the genes are fairly definitive in. That's all you need to tell you that. And maybe you put that together with some symptoms and that's good enough to, to, to give you that conclusion. Um, there are other things that you really would benefit from having both a functional test and a genetic test. So, for example, you mentioned the methionine and the SAMI, which for most people, you know, on the street, they'd be kind of like, what? Like, like homocysteine, methionine, yeah. What are those things? <laughs> but all, these things <laughs> all these things are linked to... Well, there's quite a lot of, of kind of health issues that could be connected with that. But one is cardiovascular disease and it's very hidden. So someone may not have any symptoms that they've got cardiovascular disease and arterial damage until they have a, a heart attack or a stroke. Um, but if you know the genetic risk, you can identify that that these potentials are there that you maybe don't like the look of and then you could put in a monitoring program so you can say well the potential's here but if this individual is intuitively eating the right foods they've got plenty of green leafy veg they've got enough b12 they've got zinc and they've got essential fatty acids then you know, they might intuitively, some people are really amazing in terms of they've somehow worked out these are the foods that are really, really important for them to support their genetics without even knowing the genetics. Um, but if you if you don't know that, but then you look at the genetics and you're getting these indications of this potential, then there are tests that we can recommend that functionally can help you monitor that and make sure that that risk is being managed. So it might be if someone was at risk of cardiovascular disease because of that particular aspect, which is methylation and homocysteine, and they might come to you and say, yeah, family history, this did happen actually. Um, a guy who studied with me, um, family history, many of the men in his family had had cardiovascular cardio events in their 50s and died with no warning um and he's like i saw myself in a in a job that was really stressful that i wasn't enjoying my lifestyle was rubbish i was drinking lots of beer and eating pizza and i could just see this happening and then he decided to do something about it and training nutrition and he did the genetic test and it was like sometimes you look at the the visuals and it's very red and yellow and his was but he was able to then do a homocysteine test which showed that was at a level that was not where you want it to be too high take the the action and within 12 weeks he'd managed that homocysteine down to a really, really healthy level. 
But he'd done that through understanding where the particular vulnerabilities were and very targeted nutrition. So rather than saying, oh, I've got to do everything right, like if I don't want to die at 55, I've got to live a perfect life and I've got to do it all right. And actually, no one is really capable of that or very few people are. Um, He was able to go, these are the top four things that I'm going to do. Um, and that is gonna that is gonna manage my risk. And so now he's on a monitoring program where he'll he'll do some functional tests every year or every two years to make sure that he is controlling it. Um, so that's that's an example of of how we would do that. And there's quite a lot of lot of um, scenarios where there is a good functional test that will give you that. Um, yeah, I think confident. you mentioned, yeah, I think like sort of um, overlaying perhaps the, the Dutch test on top of the estrogen balance report mm-hmm. would be a very nice way of um, monitoring. I mean, yeah. that's what I intend to do because I recently started on HRT um, and I tried all the naturopathic ways of dealing with my perimenopausal symptoms. But for me, I did a lot of research and study and it yeah. was for me, my road to go down for now. And I spoke to lots of friends and colleagues and they said, just go for it. And it's been like a switch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did it. I'm so glad I did it. I mean, you know, you do everything to support yourself while you're on these things. Oh man, it's the best thing I could have done. That I told you that changed my life overnight. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 People people are scared of that still, you know. They are. Yeah. Yeah memory of one bad story or one bad bit of bad research is kind of people remember the bad stuff don't they like oh but I'm not you know I'm naturopathic I don't really want to do that (laughs) yeah Yeah, you've got to struggle with all of that yeah yeah Yeah. I'll try everything until I you know go down that route um with the genetics one thing about that that I think is if if these hormones are in your system whether they're being made by you or whether you're you know ingesting them and they're external or however they are um arriving in your body then they still are going to be processed so when we think of that life cycle you're kind of skipping the top bit um but you're still hitting that that pathway like one quarter of the way down and you want to make sure that that those hormones are going down the, the beneficial routes um, and that you're clearing them when they're done. So I think that's that's one way for people to feel they're doing everything they can to do this in a really healthy, safe way. Exactly. And it's, take, and it's taken the anxiety out of it. For me, I'm not I'm scared about yeah. developing breast cancer because I'm doing my best, you know, that I can to monitor yeah. it and avoid yeah. all the xenoestrogens. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Mm. and what we find with the Dutch, actually, so for people who don't know, the Dutch is, is this uh, urine test, um, which tests you can either do a single point in time, can't you? Or you can do a you can do over several you could do over a whole day or weeks day, depending on four hours isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, so that's a very good way of doing it because as you said, Deb, one of the problems with some functional tests is they are such a snapshot 
Mm. If it's just like a blood test at one point in time, well, these metabolites, these things that are being measured, a lot of them are fluctuating within a day, um, within a week, depending on what you've eaten, all those things. Um, So it depends what you're testing as to how sensitive that is. Um, But what we find when we look at Dutch alongside the estrogen balance is huge correlation, which gives people confidence. If there isn't correlate, if there are really, really big differences, it's like the genes are kind of suggesting this, but this isn't happening, then you would go, okay, there really is something environmentally that is is disrupting this. And it could be either, it could not be happening in a good way or in a bad way. Um, but we'd want to understand what those environmental influences were and make sure that that it is it is a good thing rather than a bad thing. Um, and I think it can give people confidence then if you've got both in that case to say, actually, this is my natural kind of type. This is my natural, you know, with the estrogens. Actually, it's 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 on the whole predominantly my genes are sending the estrogen down the beneficial protective estrogen route on the whole. Um, or if it's not, so for example, there is a type of estrogen called 4-hydroxy, which will make some of it, but we don't want too much because that's the one that can cause damage and oxidative stress and things. So there are very, very clear nutrient approaches that can tip the balance away from too much of that more towards the beneficial. Um, But if you know that genetically someone has that type that is more predisposed towards the full hydroxy than less beneficial, then you also know that you want this nutrient to become a habit. You want, once you know it, you want that to become part of that person's behaviour, part of their routine. It's not just something they do for a couple of weeks and then they've fixed it. It's this you for life. But it's not that hard once you've created that habit. Um, and then you know that you've, you've, you're doing what is best for you and you've got that power. Um, so yeah, think- it is. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. That is, it, it is a really powerful way and it's a very... Um, uh, moving way to think and moving in for many reasons. It's a great way for us as individuals because we can own our own health. That does gives us more knowledge and knowledge is power. And we understand why we need to do these things that we need to do to it's all preventative because majority of the diseases we know can all be prevented yeah. from happening, yeah. which is so, so, Right, I've got I've got a list of things that I haven't asked, which I love because it's just flown. You know, the conversation just is flowing, flowing. Trish, what what would you like to to bring up that we haven't told you? Have a, I know you have a list. I know you do because I know you. No, I just um, no. We've been chatting, and I think we've sort of Emma has sort of covered a lot of the things. But I was just wondering, sort of, what's next for Life Code? I mean, what's in the pipeline? That was right. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting that we've talked about hormones and women's health because I think that is a a really really key area that I would like to focus on um yes I'm a woman 
but and and to be honest, it's interesting because I I three years ago I wouldn't have said this was an area that I would have that would have grabbed me. Um, but we've been recently doing quite we've we've been doing an exceptional amount of um, testing of that hormone panel. Um, pairing it up with nutrient core which is like a health check so that looks at all the key vitamins it looks at things like potential for celiac disease and lactose intolerance and things like that as well so that pairing of tests has been really really well received so partly it gives everybody something that is easy and that there is absolutely always something or things in the nutrient core that people go okay now I know that this is why it's worth spending money on vitamin d or a folate supplement or whatever it happens to be what are the key ones for that person and with the hormones it is so obvious what a big issue this is in health for women um and it's a way of empowering women and and educating them, giving them this baseline, which is, okay, this is my start point. Um, It's not that complicated to understand. So they can feel empowered by it. Uh, It's also motivating, I think, to know why you are being asked or told or suggested to do this. Um, And, and, this has just been so enthusiastically received that I feel really, really inspired to do more in this area. Um, wow. So yeah, we we want to do we want to do that, and I think we're gonna try and set up a specific group of practitioners who are focused in this area as well um, to support the end clients are women and for us we want this to be beneficial for everyone so obviously we've got a business and we're selling tests and we're doing all of this but we want it also to be a pipeline for our practitioners so that you know partly practitioners will know clients who will benefit from this but they're also general public women who don't really know where to go um who this can really really help um because of our model which is work with a practitioner you will get so much more benefit from doing a test if you work with a practitioner then we we we've seen this happen almost just in a uh one campaign that we've done with one practitioner how how appealing how what the need is really that is out there and how that model can work so, um, and that's just with that's just with the the estrogen, the hormone panel. Um, we've obviously got thyroid. Um, autoimmunity affects women far more than men. Why is that? Well, yes, there is a link in with the sex steroid hormones, huge, and especially at times in women's life when there is a hormonal shift. Um, oh. So. <laughs> Whether that's puberty, pregnancy, or menopause, or you know, they're kind of riskier times for us. Um, So 
you know, the thyroid report, which Trish has done, um, I love that report as well. Um, that is an example of something where there are many, many people out there who have gone to typical, traditional medical um, routes. They know that something isn't right, but they're given what is really not a very good functional test. Um and then told to go away and it's all in their mind and they're, they're not bad they're not ill enough to to be helped basically um the genetics in that context can also tell us why a blood test might look okay but that doesn't reflect what is actually happening um which is really powerful again. So there are there are genes that affect how thyroid hormone is transported from the bloodstream into the cells, whereas where it's where it does its job. So when you do a, a thyroid hormone test, you measure thyroid hormone in the blood. That doesn't necessarily reflect the thyroid hormone in the cell. So, you know, it's pretty obvious that the blood test might be fine, but that doesn't mean that the thyroid hormone function is fine. Um, so I think, you know, some of these things are not that complicated. Some are more complicated, but that's life and that's health and that's what we do anyway. Um, so I think, yeah, so women's health is a really, really big thing that I would... I think there's loads of potential. And I also think as a female-led company, mm -hmm. I, I want to do something in that space. Because mm. there are lots of men in the nutrition world that lead companies, and they're not particularly supportive of women either. And there is this weird kind of scenario, I think. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-men. Um, I've got I work with men, they've got certain skills that are very complementary <laughs> um, and there are some great male practitioners out there um, but I do find it odd coming from a finance world where I was a woman in a man's world and where my opinions weren't necessarily welcome at the most senior level and I was constantly fighting that battle that to move into a world which is predominantly female full of nutritional therapists that are, are women, but but it's men who stand out, maybe because they're exceptional, but women are sometimes enforcing this kind of like, oh, the, it's the guy who's the boss kind of situation. Mm. So, Interesting. It is, but it's still a man's world. I mean, when we last spoke, Emma, I mentioned a book to you called The XX Brain by Dr. Lisa yes. Moscone. It's amazing. And, you know, in our world, every single drug that's ever been brought through a clinical trial mostly has been tested um, for men. So they're mm. not actually tested for females. So when it even comes to pharmaceuticals, it's still very much, you know, a man's world. And, you know, so the, a lot of the drugs don't actually suit females. You know, the doses are too high. And I've forgotten. Yeah. She did mention some specific drugs in there. But everybody, maybe it was a statin or something, I can't remember. But, you know, both males and yeah. females are given exactly the same dose. And at the male dose, one of these drugs is actually toxic to females. 
I was going to say it's going to be too much because most of too the time much. men are just too big. Now, yeah. So, so in def- you know, I totally agree with you. Women are completely negated. But I think one of the things that is not talked a lot about are male men and their own hormonal imbalances. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that is something that you're right. Men are often put in the uh, limelight. They have all of this. But what they're not good at is talking about their own health. And they're not good about talking about their depression, about depression that they may have, or if they have hormonal issues, because they shouldn't, but (laughs) yeah, they do. (laughs) So I think that is something, and my partner, a lot of times will, you know, we'll talk about that every now and then he'll go, Hey, wait a minute. What about us? So it's really, it's really hard, isn't it? Because I think women, have been poo-pooed we've been poo-pooed about being too emotional I mean I'm the queen of you being told you're too emotional by so many people and you wear you you get you wear your heart on your sleeve etc etc and you know now that I'm in my 50s I'm finally at this point of saying I'm good with that I'm happy that, that that's that way and okay now I understand it more blah 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 but I do think there is that really delicate balance of they're not being allowed to find their soft and and fuzzy side that they yeah. and and yeah. how we figure that but i think that's down to women rising up and being in our own limelight and allowing them the ease of starting to say those things we've gotten to far more deeper conversation than i intended <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and i don't want to abandon men don't get me wrong absolutely I don't not think you do um, <laughs> yeah and on that subject actually gosh there's so much i could say in response to what you've just you're just triggering so many um, <laughs> thoughts because so so the xx brain i think i'm so desperate to read that book i love book recommendations from friends and colleagues anyway but i i agree that um so much research has been based on males partly because mm. they don't want women in the mix because of hormonal fluctuations yeah we're, um, the, well, we're the confounders anyway yeah, but yeah, yeah 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 and it's the same with um BAME so the BAME community with genetic testing most genetic testing has been done on Caucasians um there is yeah absolutely it's very very it's I mean it is the balance is shifting now and there is this recognition that that it needs to be across the board and you're missing so much of everything um, by just testing small segments of people. Um, and, and it's the same as with the drugs. And, you know, it all does come back to genetics, actually, because if there are, and we know there are, so, for example, with the there are differences in frequencies of genetic variants across different ethnic groups hugely and we know that and um, a lot of that is due to human evolution and geographic shift and things so for example with lactose intolerance um there are you could almost look at a map of the world and go lactose tolerant lactose intolerant lactose tolerant and that is how it works because genes have evolved according to survival so you know what are the environmental conditions in that geography 
what foods are available to those people that are going to enable them to survive um, as opposed to not. So with milk, it was dairy. It was de- it was drinking dairy from other animals that that allowed people to persist with the enzyme that allows them to digest that. So before this, our whole kind of default human genotype for lactose digestion was we can digest milk until we are weaned and then the gene switches off um, because there was no need. It's like, don't need that anymore. The body's got plenty of other work to do, so we'll kind of put that to one side. Thank you very much. But as people evolved to be able to drink milk then then it was beneficial for that person to be able to do so and so the people who could digest it and benefit from it were the ones who survived and the ones who reproduced and so that gene persisted in certain geographies so interesting um, you know there are but 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 there are lots of things that are different depending on where you're from like alcohol is another one. The alcohol flush reaction that East Asians have, so Japanese and a lot of Chinese people, uh, even a little whiff of alcohol would send them into a flush um, in, because they don't have the enzyme to break it down. So it's very toxic for those people. Um, so, you know... You would do a gene test and you 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 would be able to almost predict how that would turn out. Um, but it's getting more difficult to predict because we're getting more integrated. So, you know, you don't know yeah. what genes you have in your Yeah, past. we're all blending, aren't we? We've skipped a few generations and been overridden by another one, but then you know in good and bad ways so it's fascinating I think in to think of things in that bigger way as well um and the other thing that you just sparked um their thinking was we we also have a a test which looks at nervous system which is mental health basically um and this is quite unusual in the DNA test world I don't I know of one other test in the world that looks at this topic um and that's in america and they have more of a focus on how will this test tell me which antidepressant or antipsychotic i should take right. um, whereas ours is about looking at okay what extra nutrient do i need in order to support my serotonin and lift my mood um you know is it tryptophan vitamin d again uh folates vitamin b6 all really really important but depending on where your weak points are in the process you might need more of a certain nutrient and once you know that that is your solution it's not an antidepressant it's actually you know more folate or a certain form of folate um and we've got some fabulous practitioners that we're working with who there's one person who is well known more than one actually 
they are psychiatrists so they have the training but they are integrative and they cannot get enough of this because those people know that the tools that they have had at their disposal are weak and that they you know they are making an educated guess as to which medication will work for someone when actually what this gives them is this is the root cause this is this person's path and this is where this is where the weak points are um yeah because somebody could be presenting with low serotonin or they could have high serotonin then you give them ssris and you know all hell breaks loose sends them in the wrong direction yeah exactly exactly Exactly. and you know they have there is there is some stats around a big percent of people who are given an ssri i think basically the the you know the instruction is start with this one and if that doesn't work try this one instead a big percentage of people who go with option one it doesn't work for them and a significant percentage of those it has a very very adverse effect for that reason um you know you can present with anxiety so this is because of the symptom driven approach you can present with anxiety because you've got low serotonin low GABA high dopamine low dopamine if you just give someone a a medication that lifts their serotonin it a lot of those medications would also lift their dopamine but that anxiety might be due to high dopamine so you're just pushing them into an even more anxious state whereas if you understood what was the biochemical and genetic driver the picture then you you'd be able to see quite quickly that 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 wasn't a good first approach Maybe we can work over here on GABA and the calming aspects of things to try and offset the the dopamine. And you would get it right more often first time. And obviously, our approach is nutrition and lifestyle first. Of course. As well. Um, And we get a lot of people who are on medication and don't want to be on medication and they want to know how they can do this safely. Um, and if they had other options in the first place, their choice would have been not to be going down that route in the first place. Yeah. So Again, it gives really them more control. Really, it's, I think it's, it's an amazing area because it's becoming more and more of a problem for people. And... Um, and from a nutrition and lifestyle perspective, the solutions are there. Yeah. Most of the time. So it's it's an incredibly rewarding area to work in, I think. It can be, definitely. Yes, it can be for sure. So um I I could I could go on, but we could go on for five hours <laughs> and never really get there. 
because <laughs> I, I still have this list of things and I'm thinking, oh, well, forget it. Because so, um, I just love this. I thought it's just really been nice. That's what I like about uh, most of the podcasts I do because they just take their own life. And I think that's the way it should be is that it evolves and is a conversation about something that's so fascinating. And um, Trish, have you got anything else you wanted to ask in particular? Is there anything? Are you okay? No, I think, okay? yeah, we have. we've covered a lot. Yeah, we have. We have. Um, I'll put some links in the show notes for sure, obviously, to your website, uh, to the book Blink and to XX Brain, which I think will be interesting. And we'll also talk about your um, uh, crowd Crowdcast somehow. That would be great. I'm thinking yeah. Squadcast because that's another program, but Crowdcast yeah. we'll put in there, which will be terrific. What can we do for you, Emma? I like to ask this of everyone that comes on, but what can we do to help you, Emma? I think it's just really about spreading the word. Um, you know, we we are doing Crowdcasts. That's free education. It's trying to enthuse people about this amazing science and let them know what it can do for them in an accessible way but also we believe the practitioner model is so important and that people you know this it is serious as well so it is absolutely appropriate to work with a practitioner and you if you're a member of the public will get so much more from any of these tests if you've got someone who is skilled with the application the so what you know so when the test says brassica foods okay google it but you know but actually your nutritional therapist can tell you what they are they can point you at some great ways of practically doing that as well um and if it's supplements then the practitioner can again this this need for quality and appropriateness, which is what we are all about, mm-hmm. um, it goes all the way through. And we want people's journey to be consistent in that way. So they're getting the most relevant information. It's accurate. It's supported. And then it, it results in quality. So what clinical actual reality in terms of either supplements or lifestyle and and food changes so i think it's about that ecosystem that we're trying to develop and build are you yeah sorry sorry i don't mean to interrupt you i'm so good at that aren't i i'm terrible are you looking for i'm guessing are you looking for more practitioners to train up to to get qualified as it were to to be able to work in it and interpret your tests is that are you looking for them yeah so so there are two the practitioner aspect is really important and we want people to feel confident and competent so we do um and actually the lockdown there have been benefits to us because we we have for many years done in-person training in quite small groups which have been fabulous and we love them and we will go back to them but we have also done more online training and that means that it is accessible to more people in different locations and it's more flexible and they can go back to the recordings so if for practitioners please do look up our training you can register for our newsletter 
via our website, you can register with us via the website and then you can have access to our training. Um, we also encourage you to do a test for yourself. Doing something is the best way of learning it, to experience it for yourself. And then we provide the support and go through those results with you as part of that education. Um, and we do that with your client results as well. So Trish and I have done that quite a lot recently. Um, yeah. We have, and I yeah, and I, I recently did the nervous system um, panel, so I need to call you up and get that um, analysed. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite it's um, quite lengthy. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're chunky reports, but they're all relevant. But I think we're trying to practice what we preach by we are like a hub, um, and the practitioners are the next layer out, and the clients are the they're out after that so we want to help practitioners to support their clients and and that is our structure part of our free education which is the snapshots is to produce something that is accessible to everyone so clients can see that work as well so you can say to your clients hey you know you want to know about histamine watch this it'll it's an hour of your life and you'll get the message then you'll understand what this is all about um so it's really about that that just kind of pushing it out there really um and that's why we're we're doing things i think doing having lockdown and having an event that has been so major for so many people just thinking what can we do that is a small thing to do we'd never done free education really on that sort of scale and that was our small thing um obviously there is a benefit to us but we've had fabulous feedback they're great they're fantastic and you've reached a lot of people yeah so it's really about reaching you know it's reaching practitioners but also giving them something you know so practitioners would often say well how do I explain it to a client what is the benefit to my client? Like I kind of know, but I'm not so well versed in the in in kind of explaining it to them. Um, so now there are some resources um, to help with that, and I think the more you talk about it, the the more natural it becomes. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Well, thank you very much. You guys have been amazing, oh, and um, I just want to thank you so much for your time. It really it really has been just fascinating hearing your story and they're just getting into just letting it happen, let it flow. So thank you both. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Yeah, and thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, folks, that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed sitting in and listening in to our conversation with Emma. I'd really like to thank Trish for joining me on the show. It was great to have her input and to share the show with her. So then, there are a couple of things that I'd like to talk with you about today. And one of them is, you got it. It's all about, you got to bounce soft to feel good. And that's about the Bellican Rebounder. 
I cannot tell you how much I love my Bellican Rebounder. It has made a huge difference in my strength. I also have arthritis, so it's really important for me to have something that allows me to stay healthy and fit and enjoy it in the process. And I can happily say it is one of the greatest things that I have done for myself in a long time. So if you have any questions, there'll be a link in the show notes or you can send me an email. Now then, I'd also like to ask you to subscribe to my podcast if you haven't already. And thank you to those of you who've left me a review. Don't forget, these podcasts are here for you. They're here to support, collaborate, communicate, educate, and inspire one another. And I hope you find that I'm hitting the right mark with that. But the only way I'll know this is if you let me know. We've got lots of exciting and interesting people coming up over the next few months. So I hope you'll continue to tune in. And as for the event, in September, the multifaceted effects of gut health. It is going to happen online. Dr. Alan Desmond, Dr. Elizabeth Phillips, sports physio specialist Claire Sinton, and Dr. Caroline Gilmartin are going to be joining us on various Tuesdays throughout September. So watch this space and I'll provide more details as and when I can. In the meantime, I'd like to thank you again for joining me on the show. And until next time, I'd like to wish you and yours the very best of health. Bye for now. Bye.